In honor of President Donald Trump's history lesson at our Independence Day celebration, we begin today's show with a classic bit of Forward Nation radio history. And now, this day in American history with President Donald J. Trump. Hello, my fellow Americans. Today is May 10th, Cinco de Mayo, President's Day, when we celebrate President Andrew Jackson, great president, one of my favorite founding fathers, who kept the Native American white people safe from the Mexicans sneaking across our border, founded the great state of Nashville, which I got to visit recently, lovely place, wanted to stop the Civil War, but it turns out he couldn't because he was dead. You know, I love our presidents, especially the current one. But not so much Alexander Hamilton, who is not a good president. I don't even know why he's on the $20 bill. Should be Jackson. Wrong. His people were not very nice to a very good man recently. My vice president, uh, Jesus-y Jesus man. Bad, sick do you know that Abraham Lincoln was a Republican? Most people don't know that. But he was. Very good man. Would have prevented the Civil War, but then he was shot by Susan Rice, probably working, working for Crooked Hillary, we still don't know, investigate, while crossing the Delaware Water Gap, which started the Civil War because the Northern aggressors fired missiles at Fort something. All because the freedom-loving people in the South didn't want to pay unfair taxes, so they dumped all the coffee into Baltimore Harbor. Bad. Sick. My favorite president is Ronald Reagan. He is the only president to have served more than two terms because the people loved him so much, just like they do Donald J. Trump. He won the Great War, World War II, by inventing the nuclear bomb. Great tool. Great tool and dropping it on the evil Germans. Then he saved the island of Bermuda from a communist takeover. Great place, Bermuda. I go there a lot to visit my money. President Reagan made the country great again by fixing our finances before crooked Hillary's evil, evil husband came in and spent all our money. Bad President Bill Clinton. That's why they threw him out of office. I don't like Democrat presidents, except, like my Fox friend, for Richard Nixon. Good man, very misunderstood. Victim of the liberal, fake news media that made up stories about something he did with his dog. Not many people know this, but Richard Nixon also invented the game of shuffleboard. We have great shuffleboard at Mar-a-Lago, right by all of our many wonderful, wonderful pools. The best, the best. Though it is not a well-known fact that a 32-point shot in shuffleboard is not possible. Cannot happen. I did it twice. Take it from me, Donald Trump. If Donald Trump says it, you can set it in stone. Well, that's all the 150 characters we have for today. Next week, we will talk about some great living Americans to watch out for. Like this young Freddie Douglas who I think is a real up-and-comer. 
It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome back to Forward Nation Radio of the present. I am still David Leventhal. Thank you for joining us. That clip you just heard, I expect that you recognize that that wasn't actually Donald Trump. That was from May of 2017, and that was before, obviously, I had perfected my imitation of Donald Trump. So you could probably tell the difference there. I was reminded of that clip when Donald Trump gave his latest history lesson at Independence Day. I'm sure you've all heard the news at this point. How the jackass, every time he opens his mouth, manages to put his foot in it, at least for those of us who are paying attention. So I decided, of course, with Trump's ridiculously stupid history lesson that I would write a joke history lesson. It dawned on me, hey, I think I've done this before. So I looked back and found this show from May 10th of 2017. Still available on YouTube, by the way, if you miss seeing my beautiful face during the show. And I decided that I enjoyed the clip. I'd put all that time into it, as did our whole team. And besides, it was a little bit easier for me if I didn't have to write a whole nother clip just like it. So I decided I would share that clip with you again. In case you somehow missed it, by the way, here's what the moron in chief actually said at our Independence Day celebration. The Continental Army suffered a bitter winter of Valley Forge, found glory across the waters of the Delaware, and seized victory from Cornwallis of Yorktown. Our army manned the airport. It ran the ramparts. It took over the airports. It did everything it had to do. And at Fort McHenry, under the rocket's red glare, it had nothing but victory. And when dawn came, their star-spangled banner waved defiant. Okay, so that wasn't me. That was actually our dear leader speaking, in case you couldn't tell the difference at this point. So you already heard about how, obviously, the president was referring to our air superiority a century and a third before the airplane was invented. Twice, by the way, referencing our air superiority. And he talks about ramming ramparts. And basically, aside from the air stuff, listen to that again. Uh, The syntax is wrong. For most people, you'd say, okay, the president misspoke when he referred to Fort McHenry as opposed to Fort McHenry. But this is President Trump. And do you think he really knows that it's not Fort McHenry and it's Fort McHenry? But there can be absolutely no doubt that in his invocations of Fort McHenry and the Star Spangled Banner, the fucking moron didn't even realize that was the wrong war. That was the War of 1812. It wasn't even the Revolutionary War. But then listen to him speak. A bitter winter of Valley Valley Ford, etc. Unlike on the right, the right-wing media, we don't have to slow down and doctor this video to make the President of the United States sound like a fucking moron. Unable to string together a cogent sentence. But of course, what's also great about this, you may or may not have heard this discussed, is that this is a president who repeatedly, while he was running for president, made fun of people using teleprompters, made fun of politicians, including Barack Obama, who actually was an intelligent person who could speak off the cuff, made fun of him for having to use teleprompters over and over again, by the way. Again, not just a one-time thing. Trump repeatedly 
lambasted politicians who had to rely on teleprompters. So when this moron sounded like the moron that he is at Independence Day, what was his response? Blame it on the teleprompter having gone out, which makes sense because without actual lines to read, this guy cannot craft a sentence that would please a third grade teacher. Anyway, on today's show, more discussions of current events and why it's not really such a joke that this human excrement is the president of the United States. And in fact, we are discussing right now as a society the likelihood that he may very well be reelected as president of the United States. This human child, this walking piece of human trash, could be reelected as president of the United States. Maybe I'm being unfair. I, I should stop for a second. I mean, maybe I'm being a little too hard on President Trump. Maybe I'm being a little unfair. I ask myself that all the time. I mean, who do I think I am? The British ambassador to the United States? No, couldn't be, couldn't be that hard on the guy. Yes, in case you missed this news, the British ambassador to the United States had to resign his position for acknowledging reality. Yes, that was the fault. That was his big mistake of Kim Darash, Darak, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. The former now ambassador to the United States from, uh, from Great Britain, who made the mistake of saying what everybody with half a brain on the planet knows, which is that the president is a joke. His administration was incompetent. And when they were coming in, had absolutely no idea what the hell they were doing. And for acknowledging that in a cable sent back to his superiors in London that was leaked to the press, he had to resign because that, of course, acknowledging reality, gives Great Britain a black eye and threatens their relationship. Remember, this is a country about to elect as prime minister a jackass, almost as huge a jackass as President Trump, Boris Johnson. I thought the best part of this story was, the, the I think it was the first paragraph of a subsequent New York Times article on this. Ask members of the Washington Diplomatic Corps about the cables that Sir Kim Darash, the British ambassador who resigned Wednesday, wrote to London, describing the dysfunction and chaos of the Trump administration, and their response is uniform. We wrote the same stuff. Like, duh. Have you looked at the president and his administration? Were we not supposed to be report, reporting on his dysfunction and his chaos? Hey, at least we're not the Secretary of State of the United States of America calling his boss a fucking moron. And he, of course, not being the only one in the administration to call him a fucking moron. So actually, am I being too hard on the guy? No. The important thing to remember here is nobody is hard enough on this jackass running the country. I have an online class that I'm teaching right now. We have a dialogue back and forth, and he said something about the media and the oligopolistic nature of the media. I've mentioned this, of course, on this show many times. People like Donald Trump uh, castigate the media as being the liberal media. Of course, this is a complete joke. The media is almost exclusively major multinational conglomerate corporations. They are not liberal. Multinational corporations are not 
proposing higher taxes on corporations and more regulations of corporations. It's just kind of a core principle here. But Trump has to keep saying that because that is how you divorce yourself from reality. That is how you respond to a reality that is not generous to you, that you can't live in. And I had at least one student run spell oh, the media, you know, it's oh, it's always looking to get Trump. No, the problem with our media is not that it's always looking to get Trump. The problem with our media is that it's always looking for a way not to get Trump. And so we can't have the media just start every single news presentation with the fucking moron is still the president of the United States. Oh, that's that's not fair. The criminal, incompetent sadistic fucking moron is still the president of the United States. That's the problem here. The Stephen Colbert's famous line, best quote ever, as I've mentioned on this show several times, reality has a well-known liberal bias. So people like the British ambassador, or perhaps even yours truly, who make the mistake of acknowledging reality, reality's existence, well, that's bad news in this day and age. Well, there's a battle, as I keep saying at this point. We are reminded how big the battle is leading up to 2020 and everything in this country. Charles Blow had another interesting column this week in the New York Times, and I want to read a little bit of it to start a further discussion here. I know that this may read as redundant, Charles Blow wrote. I worry about as much every time I begin to write, but I also know that history is sitting in judgment, that when this dark era draws to a close, an accounting must be made, a record made. None of us will be immune. The questions will come without room for equivocation or adjustment. Where were you when the bodies floated in the Rio Grande? What did you say when this president bragged about assaulting women and defended men accused of doing the same? What was your reaction when he saw very good people among the Nazis? Where was your outrage when thousands died in Puerto Rico? What did you do? What did you say? And for others in my profession, what did you write? He goes on to say, I plan to say or have my work say that I never faltered that it never became normal to me, that my heart bled as well as my pen. What will you say? Well, I'm proud to say I will say that I did Forward Nation Radio and I plan to be able to say, no matter how many people are listening, that I will do this show at least until November of 2020. And I will do my part because that is why I'm doing this show. Because voices need to be heard. Because I need to be able to look my children in the eye years from now, and I need to be able to look your children in the eye years from now and say, I did what I could. Because yes, this, we are constantly reminded, is America's Nazi Germany moment. And I say that without any thought whatsoever that I am engaging in hyperbole. This is America's Nazi Germany moment, and the fate of the world is at stake. I will say I did this show. I hope all of you will be active and be able to look back and say, I did my part. I tried. I wasn't the problem. What will Vice President Mike Pence say? 
What will you say that you did while this was going on? Well, this week, Mike Pence will say, I went to the zoo. And by went to the zoo, of course, he went to go look at animals in cages. And when I see say animals, well, it wasn't a very good zoo. I got to admit, I think Pence was probably very disappointed in his visit to the zoo. Uh, he only saw one animal. Uh, and even, you know, only the male species, the male gender of that of that animal. And of course, Pence went to look at humans locked up in cages. To look at human beings we are keeping at detention centers near the border. We are keeping them like animals. No, wait a minute. My zoo reference is not a good one. That's unfair. Because thankfully, if we were treating animals like this, there would be a huge enough outcry to stop this. There are enough animal rights organizations out there that if animals were kept in small cages, crowd, overcrowded, unsanitary, unlivable under these conditions, it would not be able to continue. And what a statement it is that the Vice President of the United States and goes and looks at the way we are treating fellow human beings. Human beings who are already suffering. And I heard people talking this week and someone saying, well, they're criminals. You know, they should be. Yeah, like I pointed out a week or two ago, so are people who drive above the speed limit. These people are criminals in the sense that we have forced them to flee, to try to provide for their families, to flee violence, to flee looking for economic opportunity for their families. And this is the way we treat them. Look in the mirror and ask yourself where you were and what you were saying and what you were doing when we were doing this. Just like the German citizens have had to do for three quarters of a century. Where was Customs and Border Protection, of course? What are they going to say? Where were they while the Trump administration was going on? Well, I'm sure you've heard the news this week about the way members of CBP were behaving on social media. An alarming number of the men and women who patrol the nation's international frontier, it was learned this week, this was also from the New York Times, belonged to a closed Facebook group that guffawed over anti-immigrant, misogynistic, and racist filth. While the group discussed throwing burritos at Latino members of Congress, ha <laughs> that is so clever for fucking morons, visiting the detainment centers, the offline civilian hecklers of Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the rest of the delegation instead hurled curses and racial slurs at Latino members of Congress. These are the people we have. This is the current Gestapo of the United States of America. These are our law enforcement people. I hope this isn't a lot of them, but I'm not holding my breath. Let's compare the vice president and the CBP agents and what they were doing during the Trump administration with what Scott Warren was doing during the Trump administration. Haven't heard the name Scott Warren? Well, Scott Warren is a member of No Mas Muertes, No More Deaths, in my less than fluent Spanish. A humanitarian organization trying to keep people alive. Scott Warren regularly left water, canned food, blankets, and clothes 
along migration corridors in Arizona's Sonoran Desert, one of the deadliest stretches along the southwestern border. At least 8,000 people have died in these borderlands since the 1990s. Scott Warren was trying to keep some of these people alive. As a result, Scott Warren is facing up to 20 years in prison on felony charges of harboring and conspiring to transport undocumented immigrants. That's right, Scott Warren, for trying to keep people alive, faces 20 years in prison. Members of the CBP, for their outright racism and making fun of Latino members of Congress, are obviously in line for a promotion. The good news, I guess, here is that Scott Warren had his first trial. And the jury announced that it was hopelessly deadlocked and could not reach a unanimous verdict. The U.S. government, of course, refuses to drop the charges and is contemplating pursuing another trial to try to convict Warren. Because in America today, this is the face of a criminal. This gives me another chance to point out that while we are talking about how refugees trying to get to this country for the sake of their families and people who try to help them from dying are the true criminals, that in fact, it is our policies, it is our refusal to acknowledge climate change as a country, something that we are largely responsible for, but which other people will largely suffer for, including the people who are approaching our borders. That, in fact, it is our climate change policy. It is our longtime political policies in Latin and South America. And it is our longtime economic policies throughout the Western Hemisphere that have created all these refugees in large measure. But we, of course, get to wash our hands of that. Wash our hands of any kind of responsibility because, let's face it, the wealthy people particularly running this country and many of us in it, that's the way we roll. We create problems and then we wash our hands of any responsibility for them. And in order to help ourselves do that, we just refer to our victims as criminals. Anyway, Noah Hassan Rouhani, the president of Iran, will be able to say that he did during the Trump administration? Well, just this week, he called the White House, quote, mentally retarded, close quote, Jumping on the bandwagon of people all across the world, finally acknowledging out loud that the President of the United States and his contingent are a joke. And this is really one of the true tragedies of this administration, that our current leaders are so awful that in some respects they have me rooting for Iran. Because when the Iranian president says that, someone I don't normally root for, of course, calls the White House mentally retarded. Well, to be fair, I'm kind of on his side on this one. But you know what else the Iranian president will be doing during the Trump administration? He will be exceeding enrichment limits, nuclear enrichment limits, in the deal that the United States ended up breaking under Donald Trump. That Iran, in fact, will and has been now exceeding the limits imposed by the Iran-U.S. nuclear agreement that was signed by President Obama. The admittedly somewhat flawed agreement, which it turns out was a hell of a lot better than anything the Trump administration has. So the Trump administration, of course, is outraged. How dare you violate 
an agreement that we have already abrogated. Seriously, that's actually what they're saying. We said we're not going to follow the agreement, the agreement, but you have to. But now they're at a point where they are enriching uranium, not anywhere near yet weapons grade, but on the way to do that. And they are increasing their stockpiles beyond that which is allowed in the nuclear agreement. And I'm sure that the United States will have Europe joined in alliance with us to protect the integrity of the agreement that we ripped up. That was sarcasm, in case you missed it. That led George Conway, someone, again, kind of like the president of Iran. I'm not happy to say how often I seem to agree with him these days. Not a natural ally. A guy who is extremely conservative and with whom I agree about almost nothing. George Conway had another famous tweet that was worth quoting on this one. So in two hours, it'll be 3 a.m. And an erratic, unstable, incompetent, ignorant, intellectually lazy, narcissistic, and sociopathic man whose judgment no serious, intelligent person trusts remains in charge of deciding whether or not to start a potential war in Western Asia. Where was I during the Trump administration? <laughs> Trying to stop a war, I guess. To end, perhaps, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, on a more upbeat note, do you know where Alex Acosta will not be able to say he was, at least during the end of the Trump administration? He'll no longer be able to say he was the labor secretary. In case you missed that, he had to resign. And do you know, with any luck, where Jeffrey Epstein will say that he spent the end of the Trump administration in prison? And hopefully he'll be able to say that about lots and lots and lots more administrations to come. In a story that I'm sure you've heard the basics of, of course. Jeffrey Epstein, as we have been reporting on this show for many, many months. Jeffrey Epstein is the child sex trafficker, sexual assaulter, sexual deviant, sexual criminal, and incredibly rich person, which means, you know, you get to do all those things, apparently. The guy who got away with it for years, largely, with no small help of our up-until-recently labor secretary, and at the time, a U.S. attorney in Florida who managed to sweep many, many charges of sexual trafficking of children, sexual abuse of minors under the rug to let this pervert and child molester go free. Well, Alex Acosta tried to save his skin when it turns out, of course, that the Southern District of New York, the Federal Court in New York, which apparently is in charge of the U.S. criminal laws right now, based on every case now coming out of there, has reindicted Jeffrey Epstein and has thrown him in jail for, it turns out, continuing his longtime parade of sexual assault and sexual deviancy towards minors. Alex Acosta until recently our labor secretary, was forced to go up and give a speech to try to save his job. And this really says a lot about this country as this whole story does. 
obviously, this story is about privilege and how we do not discuss this enough. Whether it's white privilege, that's a big part of it. Wealthy privilege, that's a huge part of it. Connected, politically connected people privilege is a huge part of it. Male privilege is a huge part of it. The fact is that this country is still run by privilege. And privileged people still do not play by the same rules as the rest of us. So when the new indictments came down against this serial child molester, rapist, trafficker, etc., Alex Costa said, we did nothing wrong by sweeping these charges under the rug and letting this guy go free. And in fact, it was those nasty lawyers that made me do it. That's right. Blaming it on the lawyers. And there actually is a something here. There is a kernel here. Something that we will talk about on our next show, which will be focused on the whole concept of privilege. And the fact is, what he's on to is, this is another example of how the wealthy do not play by the same rule as the rest of us. While the U.S. attorney had no reason to back down simply because this wealthy guy could afford wealthy lawyers. The fact is, the wealthy do hire the best lawyers on the planet to get away with crimes that the rest of us could never conceive of committing, let alone getting away with. It's important to note that among this sexual predator's criminals, uh, lawyers, same thing, among his lawyers, were the, were the increasingly, completely disreputable Alan Dershowitz, a man who has become a caricature of himself, and, no less, drumroll please, this was great, Ken Starr, the guy who made a name for himself, investigating and putting on the front pages of the newspaper, doing a true witch hunt into the consensual, although inappropriate, sexual behavior of a former president. The guy who made his name off the, the Star Report and certain stains on dresses is now defending child sexual predators, along with Alan Dershowitz, formerly a liberal icon. Because when it comes to privilege, doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on, you circle the wagons around the people in your country club. You know, just a few weeks ago, there was news about how a couple of uh, deans of a residence hall in Harvard, they may have been the first minority deans or something in the residence hall, I forget what the story was, I covered it, I think, several weeks ago on the show, were were fired, I guess, or forced to resign from their deanships at the Harvard residence because there was a big up outcry among the students of the fact that the, this dean decided to represent Harvey Weinstein. And there was all, you know, reaction. Hey, lawyers, people deserve a defense. And I've always, as a lawyer especially, I always found this really, really troubling. I always hear this story, everyone is entitled to a defense. And yet, the rich lawyers don't tend to apply that when they go represent poor people. Alan Dershowitz probably doesn't say that about a whole lot of pro bono cases. I don't know, maybe he does do some pro bono cases, but certainly the cases that put him in the news are representing wealthy white people. Ken Starr, I'm willing to bet, doesn't do a whole lot of pro bono work. But I always hear this, everybody has is entitled to a lawyer and is entitled to the best defense. That's true, except only wealthy people get wealthy, successful lawyers. Poor people are entitled to lawyers who don't make a lot of money and don't have any resources 
to conduct investigations or interview witnesses during trials. Anyway, the privilege went so far in this case that the prosecutors at the time violated at least two rules that they were required to follow in these criminal trials regarding informing the victims when a settlement is reached and in the case of Palm Beach, violating confinement conditions of sexual offenders, just completely throwing out the rules in favor of rich criminal defendants. And it wasn't just the lawyers on both sides, Democrat and Republican, who were circling their wagons on behalf of the elite privileged. It's, of course, politicians, as you've already read. Jeffrey Epstein had some ties to politicians left and right. Yeah, mostly close to Republican politicians, but of course, Bill Clinton's got some stake in this game as well. It'll be interesting to see how far his ties to Jeffrey Epstein extend. Cy Vance, the New York District Attorney, got his hands wet on this one. He's had some, uh, some long history of actually standing up for the privilege, including the Trump family. And of course, there's Donald Trump himself who you've already heard by now, has famously said, I've known Jeff for 15 years, said Donald Trump in 2002. Terrific guy. He's a lot of fun to be with. It is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do. And many of them are on the younger side. So, said the President of the United States approvingly. We will explore this issue of privilege in our next show, which will happen very quickly because I'm about to go on vacation for a few days and I'm going to get another show up before I go next week. So please look for the turnaround as this show comes to an end. I'd like to finish with one last bit on the testimony of Alex Acosta, the former labor secretary, before we leave. The most intriguing and almost comical uh, line in a story that is anything but comical. Well, when Alex Acosta, the labor secretary of the United States, defended himself by saying times were different then. Times were different then when he swept this under the rug. You know, way back when, before we had electricity. Oh, no, wait, we had electricity then because it was only 10 fucking years ago. It wasn't a whole lot of all back then. It was 10 years ago. And here's some news. While times have changed a lot in this country in 10 years, and we have gotten a lot more sensitive about the rights of women and the proper way to treat women, someone should let Alex Acosta know that when it comes to child sex trafficking, things really weren't that different a whole 10 years ago. Anyway, that's today's show. Thanks for joining us again. See you in a few days to talk a little bit more about privilege. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 